So a month now we've been in this um, destination series and week one, we said that your direction determines your destination. So if the yellow brick road leads to the wizard of Oz and you get on the yellow brick road, where does it lead you to the wizard's place, to the wizard of Oz at the, uh, and the direction is what destroys your um, dreams, not God. So quit blaming God for the paths you chose to get on. That's what we said in week one. Week two, we looked at Proverbs 27, 12. Can anybody quote that verse for me? Go ahead, Crystal. Wow, good job, good job, good job. I don't have any money for you today, but... Um, but that's all right. You, you get a crown in heaven. You get, you get a reward from the Lord. We said that, that the prudent, the wise, see that life is connected. They, they understand that today's decisions affect tomorrow. But we said the simple people, the unwise people, the foolish people, um, they, they live as if tomorrow and today aren't connected, that the decisions today won't impact tomorrow. And we said if you live wisely, simple people are going to make fun of you. They're not going to understand the way you live. But there will come a day like Noah, when you are so glad that you saw danger, you took refuge, you listened to the Lord, you got off of that path. And, and the people that were simple in Noah's day, were they around later to complain and criticize him? No, they weren't even there. And the people that are criticizing you today for, for taking refuge probably will not be around in your life in the future. So, so don't even worry about them. Let's please our Heavenly Father. Now, last week we looked at Proverbs three, five through seven, and we talked about, I had the umbrella and we talked about being under God's authority. And we discovered the reason that we make so many poor decisions in life is because we lean on, we trust in our own understanding. Um, we think we're wise enough to handle decisions without God. And, and Solomon says, nobody's wise enough. He said, the key to getting on the right path is to get under God's authority, to submit to him in all your ways. And then once you submit, then he will show you which path to choose. And, and Solomon, we saw that he, he failed spectacularly when he trusted in his own wisdom later in his life. So today, as we finish up this series, I want to remind you a couple of things. One is we don't have time to waste. Um, time is our life. And, and if we get lost when we're driving, it costs us a few minutes. If we get lost in life, it costs us years. We don't have time for that. So today we're going to look at the last part of this equation. We've been hammering home for three weeks that destination, uh, that, that direction determines destination. Well, I want to add a little bit to that and it's not on your listening guide yet. We'll get to it in just a second, but, but I want you to listen to me for just a second. The people or the things that grab or capture your attention influence your direction. All right. We said direction determines destination, but we're going to back up and add just a little bit of this, this part of the equation, the people or the things that grab or capture your attention, influence your direction. So it's like, you've heard people say this. Maybe you've said this. I was just walking along and something grabbed my attention. 
Um, I was just, I was just minding my own business when this girl captured my attention and it changed my life. And, and when you start looking at things, when you, when something grabs your attention, you turn, you focus on it. And it's only a matter of time until you choose the path that that person or that thing is on, right? In 1998, Janie and I went to a conference in Chicago, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, Willow Creek Community Church. It's this massive church now. It was, it was even a big church back then. It was started in the 70s as one of the very first churches to try to reach people who are far from God. So we went, and I still can tell you, we were in the, we were in the old auditorium. We were sitting up in the balcony, and this was way up there and had little TVs hanging down because he was so far away. He looked about this big. When we're, when we're up in the balcony, I remember Bill Hybels, the pastor, said two things that captured my attention that changed the way I I did church. It actually set the stage for new life way back in 1998. We didn't start new life until 2002. But what he said was, he said two things that just totally changed the way I did church. Number one, he said, you've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. Janie and I walked out that day. We went to a, to a convenience store, had to get gas. And I think we were getting a, a Coke or some water. I don't even remember what it was, but I walked in and I thought the person behind the counter matters to God. And then when we would go to the, the hotel, we would see the person, that person matters to God. That, you get on the, ho- the elevator at the hotel, that person matters to God. I'd never heard anybody say, you've never looked into the eyes. I was in church my whole life. And then he said something else that, that totally rocked my world. He said, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And I sat there and I thought, I don't think I've been in a local church that's working right. And he started naming all of these ministries that they had where the hungry get fed, where, where homeless are, are provided shelter, where they went all over the world. They give millions and millions of dollars all over the world to help people out. And, and they even had, they even had hairdressers that would come in and cut hair for free. They would give away clothing. They would, it was unbelievable what these people did. A ministry for anything you can imagine. He said, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And I turned to Janie and I said, I want to be in a church that works correctly. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want the chairman of the deacons to come in and, and say, I'm chair, I'll be here. Cause see, we started the church. So you can't be here before me. You can be here after me. I can be fired or I can die. You can be here after me, but you cannot be here before me. We, we started this church. So. <clears throat> So we came back from this conference and Janie said, I'm so glad I was at that conference because she, she remembers when the light bulb came on above my head. And, and she said, I would have missed it had I not been sitting here with you. We came back, we totally changed the way we did youth ministry. Because the way I was raised was you take care of the sheep inside the pen and you make sure they don't get too close to the, to the edges of the pen. And if they do, oh, don't go there, don't go there. You didn't worry at all about the people outside the pen. And if you took care of your flock good enough, you got promoted to a bigger pen. And then a bigger pen. And then in the Southern Baptist Convention, if you get good enough, they take you to the convention, to the denomination, where you don't even have a flock anymore. And I said, I don't want to do that. I had family members saying, you need to go to this church because it's a great step up. I said, what does that have to do with anything? I want to be where God has called me to be. So when we left Southside, we, we felt like God released us from Southside, but we did not feel like God released us from, from Palestine. And we said, what do we do? And, and when there was no other choice but to start a church, we started a church. It, was all, it, it all happened back when my heart was captured, my attention was captured by a couple of statements by a guy in Chicago, Illinois. And it changed the way we did youth ministry, and it set the stage for new life the way we do church today. In 1984, I met Janie at a youth camp, and I thought she was really, really cute, and I thought she was jailbait because I was in college and she was in high school. 
And, and actually, I met her before that, but when I really got to know her, it was at youth camp. When I met her before, we had been at a lock-in, which is from hell. Lock-ins are from hell. I just, I was too old back then. I'm way too old now to do a lock-in and stay up all night. That's just, that's not fun at all. But I remember being at this lock-in, and the first time I ever saw Janie, she was flirting with one of the guys in my youth group. I've since forgiven her for that. It took about 25 years. Not really, not really. Um, but I met Janie, and I thought, you know, I can't go out with this girl. Uh, she's too young. I, I'm not even going to consider that. I'm not going to go down that path, although I thought she was really cute. So when she graduated from high school, she sent me a graduation invitation, and she had a picture in there. I still have that picture today because her beauty captured my attention. I said, I need to check this out. And four years later, I married her, and there are now people in this world that would not be in this world, my children, if she had not captured my attention and vice versa, all right? You see where I'm, where I'm going with this. You know what I'm talking about? You're doing life, you're going along, and all of a sudden, whoa, would you look at that? Something captures your attention, and it's just a matter of time before you start heading there. And, and see, things, the people and, and things that grab your attention can, can influence your direction for good or bad. I was thinking about this this week. Moses, Moses was herding sheep a long way from Egypt. He'd been cast out of Egypt. He ran for his life. He's herding in in the desert of Midian. And and all of a sudden, something captures his attention. He turns and he walks to see what that is. And that encounter at the burning bush rocked his world, changed his direction, and eventually led to Moses, who the Bible describes as the most humble man on the planet, led to him becoming the leader of the people of, of Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. So that change, that captured his attention for good. Now Solomon, we talked about him last week, and and he was the wisest man who ever lived until he saw the daughters of the foreign kings, and they captured his heart. He'd been warned, don't you dare marry the foreign kings, not because skin color or anything like that, economics, because of their religion. He said, if you marry them, they will turn your heart away from me. In his later life, not only did Solomon build temples for these idols of his foreign wives, the Bible says he began to worship in those temples with them. He was captured, his attention was captured. And it led him in a bad direction. Daniel, one of the most famous stories in scripture. Daniel was actually in captivity in Babylon. And God captured his attention. And though, even though it was, there was a law made, it was against the law to pray to any other person except the human king. Daniel three times a day went and faced towards Jerusalem and he prayed. Got him thrown in the lion's den. And God marvelously protected him because his attention was fixed on God. That was a good one. Judas. Judas was the treasurer for the disciples. His his attention, we're told, was captured by power and money. And he sold out the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. He was captured by that that money, that silver, the, the coins. And he later hanged himself in disgrace because he was captured. He went that direction and he hanged himself in disgrace. And see, what, what's true of Moses, what's true of Solomon, what's true of, of Daniel, of Judas is also true of you. What captures your attention will influence the direction of your life. Every person here has a story of a party we wished we had skipped. We have, we have a text that we should have ignored or a phone call that we should not have taken. Um, We got an email we should have deleted. Every path that leads to suffering and destruction started with your attention being captured by something or someone and you turn that direction. So here's the last part. We're finally to it. Here's the last part of this equation. Attention 
influences direction. So we've said for three weeks, four weeks now, your, your direction determines your destination, but we're backing up from that and we're saying your attention influences your direction. Something grabbed your attention and, and you knew, you knew I shouldn't go there. Something grabbed your attention, you go, I shouldn't go there. But let me just be sure I should not go there. Oh, no, no, I, sh- I should not, no. Oh my, I, I shouldn't go there. I, I think I'm just going to make a couple of times around the block to make sure I should not go there. And what happens? You go there. See, there, there are things that grab our attention, but there's also things we pay attention to or we give attention to. And there's a huge difference. All right, here's the difference. Grabbing attention is about emotion. Ooh. I saw Janie's pictures. Oh. We had been broken up for a long time, and, and I reminded her of this yesterday. When, when we got back together right before, you know, the last time we got together and I was going to propose to her four months later, um, I had not seen her in a year and a half. And when I saw her, I said, I'd forgotten how beautiful you are. And then I kissed her. And I was done. Um, Grabbing your attention is about emotion. It, it's, I, I desire that. That makes me feel good, or I think it'll make me feel good, and so I'm going to go that direction. Paying attention is all about choosing to do the right thing in the right situation. And no matter what age you are, there are some things that we wish we had paid more attention to. When it's test time, don't you wish you'd paid more attention in, in classroom and paid more attention to your studies? I'm 52 years old. There are things I, I, that my health, I wish I'd paid more attention the last few years to my health. Now I'm working out and it's hard. I come walking in and I'm sweating and I'm breathing hard and it's tough. Um, your retirement becomes a big issue when you're, when you're my age and you wish you'd have paid more attention to it or when you're 10 years later. Um, right now we're paying a lot of attention to college. We're paying a lot of tuition too. That's the stage of life we're in. We're paying attention. Wish we'd have paid more attention sooner. Many of you wish you had paid more attention to your marriage. Many of you wish you'd pay more attention to your kids or your spiritual life or your church. You see, when, whether something captured your attention or you paid attention, where you are today was influenced by what you were looking at the most. Wherever you focus your attention is where you eventually go. And, and, and here's why. When you boil it all down, we don't wake up every day looking for truth. We wake up every day looking for happiness. Right? Each morning we don't come up and say... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let my mind focus on these things. That's actually out of Philippians. We don't wake up with that. We want to feel happy. We want to be happy. So we wake up every day thinking, I need something to make me happy. And see, our, our desire to feel happy often um, trumps our desire to do what is right or what is true. When, when, um, when, prudent, when the prudent way points one direction... And the happy way points a different direction. That's when really smart people do really stupid things. When common sense goes this way, but happy goes this way, we very often go towards happy. And, and here's the problem with happy. It's a moving target. Have you ever noticed that what makes you happy today doesn't necessarily make you happy tomorrow? That's why you don't like your car. 
when you first got it, it was awesome. But the second law of thermodynamics says that things tend to fall apart over time. And you lose the new car smell and, and, and you're not getting as good. A, I heard of a guy that traded in one SUV for another SUV and, and his friend said, why'd you do that? And he said, because the old SUV was eating us up on gas mileage. That's your mind just making something up. You are, you wanted it. Just say, I wanted a new SUV. Don't, we come up with excuses, right? We, we decide we're going to do something that makes us happy. And then our mind is supposed to make up excuses for why we did that. See, happy is schizophrenic. Because many of the things you chase after today that might make you happy today, tomorrow may lead you to regret. May lead you to um, a place you don't want to be. At one time, smoking probably made people happy. I remember being in a big tunnel down from my house when I was like in third grade. And this, this really bad boy I wasn't supposed to be hanging around with gave me a cigarette. And I smoked that cigarette because I thought it was a cool thing to do. I almost threw up and that was the last time I smoked a cigarette. Praise God. But, but I know a lot of people that today regret ever picking up a cigarette. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying you regret it. Alcohol, hey, maybe it makes you feel good temporarily. The Bible says that sin is fun for a season. But when it captures you, when you are a slave to alcohol or you're a slave to drugs or you're a slave to pornography uh, or you're a slave to, to sex. I know people that are addicted to sex. And they say, I would, go, I would give anything if I could go back What made them happy then doesn't make them now because now they're a slave to it and they wish they could go back. See, here's here's the problem. We're faced with everyday happiness now versus happiness later. Every commercial you watch on TV is based on happiness now and they're hoping to convince you that if you'll buy their product, you will get happiness now. And, and see, here's where we are as Americans. I want both. I want happiness now and I want happiness later. The problem is when you choose one, it usually negates the other. Let me give you an example. Adam and Eve were focused on the one thing that they could not have in the Garden of Eden. It was the fruit. We don't know what it was. People think it's an apple. We don't care what it was. It was some fruit they were focused on. Satan slithers up to Eve and he says, you can have happiness right now. God's trying to keep something from you. God knows that you'll be happy if you eat of this fruit. You can do it now. You'll be like God. Step out from under his authority and you will be happy now. And the reason I keep going, I, I, I mention Adam and Eve a lot because the very same pattern that, that Satan used with the first human couples he uses with you. Let me show you what happens when he gets their attention. Look what happens in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman did what? What was that next word? Saw. When she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And let's, this is, this is why, guys, we, we can't ever blame the woman. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Satan messed up the, the, the line of authority. Satan didn't go to Adam and, and, and tempt Adam. He went to Eve and tempted her to take his authority. He was, he was passive. He should have stepped forward and said, no, we're not going to do this. And actually, sin didn't enter the world. We weren't held accountable for sin until Adam ate. And he failed. The first Adam failed. Later, Jesus is called the second Adam who came and fixed the failure. See, what captured their attention, it looked good. They chose that path, and then it wrecked their relationship with God. When we come, into, when we come on a path and we're cho- we have to choose between prudent and happy, we lie to ourselves. 
oh, I can go this way and I can still have happiness later. No, it's going to negate each other. And something that gives you temporary happiness, it will cost you later and, and may lead to shame and regret. And I've heard so many stories, whether it's baptism stories or just talking to people when, when they come to see me and they say, I wasn't paying attention or I neglected this and then something happened and then bam, something captured my attention and I changed directions and I regret it today. I ended up being where I don't want to be. See, right now there's some, there's some things competing for your attention. I don't, I don't care where you are. There's something competing for your attention. Satan will make sure that there's something competing for your attention. And people around you who are not emotionally caught up, they're not, their attention hasn't been grabbed by whatever grabs your attention. They're going, I don't know if you should date that person, if you should buy that car, if you should buy it. I don't know. And you're going, lighten up. This will make me happy. Others of you, others of you are running around right now and you're humming along. You're right in the center of God's will because you've chosen to pay attention to the right things and God is blessing you. Maybe for the first time in your life, there's a difference in grabbing someone's attention and paying attention. See, usually the things that capture our attention, they're often dangerous. Not always, but they're often dangerous. The things we choose to pay attention to usually set me up for success later. This moment, you need to make some decisions because your attention influences your direction, which will determine your destination. This is why parents get so bent out of shape about things that that kids think, oh, they're just not that big a deal. They know. God didn't mess up when he gave you your parents or God didn't mess up when he gave you your children. He gave them insight how how you work. They see the direction you're going and they get worried and they say something. It bothers them because they know where you're headed. And the Bible says that, that God is our heavenly father. If he's a good father, then, then it would only make sense that he would give us some instructions about this principle of the path. Now, I haven't checked this out, but I think this is true. I think that every book in the Bible has something to say about the principle of the path. I can't say it definitively because I haven't studied that, but I have found some instances and I, I'm going to keep studying. But let me give you a couple of instances of where the Bible specifically talks about the principle of the path. First is in Deuteronomy. The Israelites are about to, not yet, Israelites are about to enter the promised land. They're God's chosen people. Um, and, and what is that? Okay. Uh, in Deuteronomy, God gave, yeah, go, go back. I'm, I'm introducing that first. God was given some instructions. He gave the Israelites a warning and some instructions in Deuteronomy. They're about to go into the promised land. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land with them uh, because he's disobeyed God, but God's given him some some instructions to say to the Israelites. And the the main thing he's saying is, when you get in this new land, you're going to be tempted to look around and you're going to want to do things like these other nations do. He says, don't do it. Look what he says now in Deuteronomy 7, 12. If you pay attention to these laws and, and are careful to obey or to follow them, that means to obey them. Pay attention. Then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. See, God made a deal with them. He said, if you obey me, if you follow the path that I set before you, I will bless you in such a way that the other nations will say, who is their God? It happened when they were coming into the promised land when Joshua was going to attack Jericho. Rahab the harlot, when she, when she took the spies in, she said, we have heard of your God. We have heard what your God did to the kings Sihon and Og on the other side of, of the river. We, we are melting with fear because we've heard of your God. God says, if you obey me, I'll do such incredible things that people won't under, won't, they'll be asking, who is your God? We need to know this God. Rahab became a follower of Christ because she heard what God, or follower of God, not Christ yet. He wasn't here, but he, she became a follower of God because of what she heard and saw in them. And she eventually became in the 
lineage. She is part of Jesus Christ's lineage because God redeemed even a prostitute because of what God's people did. But he said, there's another side to this. If you disobey me, I'll do what any good father will do and I will discipline you. In fact, I will discipline you by the people around you. Those countries that you should be conquering will overrun you. And and it happened. You see, Israel was just like us. They would get focused on God and and blessing would pour out and then whew, something's over here. Squirrel. Squirrel. Oh, look at that. God's over here and it's something gets your attention, it captures your attention. They got off of the uh, the path and started chasing that. And and specifically when when Joseph, I mean when Daniel was was in Babylon, what had happened was they had gotten so far off the path. God had sent prophet after prophet warning them, you need to come back, you need to come back, you need to get on this path. They didn't do it. God eventually wiped out the entire country. All of the leaders were taken into Babylon for 70 years. Daniel was one of them. And and so God says, I will, I will discipline you until you focus on me. And eventually they got focused on God and God brought them back. And we're just like them. Wherever our attention goes, that's where we go. When something captures your attention, it captures you. That's why this is such a big principle in your life. And it's one of the reasons God wants you in church regularly because our hearts get off the right path. Look what Jeremiah says about your heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. It is deceitful, deceitful above all things. So you can't trust your heart. People all the time, oh, I'm just going to trust my heart. I'm going to trust my heart. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what scripture says. Don't trust your heart because it's deceitful. It will lie to you about what makes you happy and where you're going to end up. In, In the book of Psalms, King David says this about the path. He's praying to God and he says, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Why turn my heart? Because the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful uh, deceitful above all things. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Solomon, um, he has something good to say. This is actually a great verse if you travel a lot. If you're, if you're, well, and, and it could be men or women who travel. If you're, if you're away from home a lot, this is a great verse for you. But, but if you're a woman who shops, this is also a great verse for you. Look what, look what Solomon says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Cause see the things in front of you aren't usually the things that capture your attention. It's like walking down a mall. Why do they have all these big pictures up here of beautiful people in these clothes or jewelry that you need to have? Cause they want to capture your attention. Ooh, let's go there. One time, this about 10 years ago, so Hannah would have been six and Rachel would have been eight and Caleb would have been 10. We were at uh, Grapevine Mills Mall and, and I was somewhere else. I was, I, I don't know if I was at Bass Pro Shops because I can't stand the mall. So I, the Bass Pro Shops is right there and it's just convenient. You can drop them off and go anyway. So Janie's walking along with the girls and, um, I think it was Abercrombie and Fitch. There was a dude, you know, with his shirt off and, and he's in these tight pants. And so Hannah's five or six year old and I don't remember which one said it, but they're walking along and, and one of and goes, shield your eyes, shield your eyes. Janie goes, what? And she goes, half naked man, shield your eyes, shield your eyes. I hope she's still doing that at 16 or 19 or, you know, anyway, she, my child understood, you don't need to be looking at that naked person over there because it captures your attention or the clothes or the jewelry or the furniture or the car, whatever it is. So he says, keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. Fixing your eyes, are, are, it, that's a choice. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So this is how you stay on the path. You focus on what's in front of you. Don't look to the right or the left. Hundreds of years later, Jesus shows up and he says this in Matthew six twenty two: The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, 
Back then, they didn't have flashlights. They didn't have headlights for their donkeys or their camels or whatever. They had lamps that they would carry along. And if they wanted to see further down the path, they would hold the lamp higher up. If they really wanted to see far, they'd put it on a stick and they'd hold it so it illuminated the path. And so Jesus is saying that, that when you light the path, you follow the light. What he's saying is your eyes are like the lamp. And wherever your eyes go, you go. So he says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if you're looking at good stuff, if you're looking at healthy and pure things, your whole body will be full of light. If you look at good things, good impact will happen on your life. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If you look at unhealthy things, then then you're not going to follow a healthy path. It just makes sense. He says, then if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The whole point of all of this is to tell you that your attention, what you're looking at, influences the direction, which then determines where you end up in life. Now, one more in Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The writer is saying that, that you need to pay attention to the word of God and make sure that you follow that path. Pay careful attention. When I'm riding my bicycle, this is, this is what I've been doing. Um, getting, getting in up to 20 miles. I don't know why this is going. I'm up to 20 miles and man, I'm dying by the time I get to the end of 20 miles. But when I'm riding down these little roads, I try to go on, on, on back roads. I go in front of Travis's house because there's not a lot of traffic back there. There are dogs. Um, but there's one little point where I have to get back on Sycamore as I go back up to, towards my house in front of the hospital. Sycamore does not have enough space and I try to ride that as fast as I can. But here's what I've noticed when you're riding a bicycle. If you're riding along, you're looking up here, you can stay where you need to go. But if you look at the car that's coming next to you, what, what happens to where you go? Do you go straight? No. In fact, if you look this way, I actually have a little rearview mirror that's on my handlebars so I can see the cars coming. So I don't have to, because what I discovered was on some of these back roads, I would hear a car and I would turn to look and I would go that way. And so I'm just pulling right out in front of the car. And so I thought maybe I should look over this shoulder because I'd be on the right side and I'd look, then I'd end up in the ditch. There's, there's a number of times I look back and I I'm, I'm going off the path and it's not fun going off the path. Either you're really, really slow because you're, you're going up a hill, you go off a path, you, you know, and it's dirt and, and you can't ride in dirt very well, or you're going way too fast and you're going, Oh dear Jesus, take the wheel. You know, when you're, when you're going down the hill. So what I discovered was you don't need to be looking this way when you're riding your bike, when you're driving your car, you don't need to be looking at the cars beside you. You need to look where you're going to go. That's the point of this whole sermon. We can see this so clearly when it applies to someone else. It's almost impossible to see when it's us. You know why? Because the human heart is wicked. It's deceitful above anything else. And we will lie to ourselves about the path we're on. We, we, don't, we don't want this delayed gratification. We think that's a, that's a curse word. Happy later? No, I want to be happy now. And we make choices now that take us way away from God. And then we wonder why we're filled with regret. See, if your parents don't want you hanging out with certain people, it's because they see where you're looking and they know that where you're looking, you're eventually going to go. If your spouse doesn't want you hanging out with certain persons, It's because they see where you're looking. They're afraid your attention is being captured. And where you're looking, you will eventually go. And you're going, no, 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 I haven't done anything 
I would add to that yet. Because you're going to. You're going to go where you're looking. If you want to have an affair, have an affair with your current spouse. Start looking at them. Start doing things to meet their needs. And, and you'll be surprised at how the flames of passion will be reignited when you're looking at your spouse, when you see them, when you respond. So you're responding to where you are. Everybody else is responding to where you're headed, where you're looking. Bow your heads for just a minute. I've got two questions to ask you. Who or what has captured your attention? It could be good or it could be bad. Who or what has captured your attention? And if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, oh, this principle of the path doesn't apply to me, the Bible calls you simple. Because if you try to break a principle, the only thing that's going to get broken is you. Who or what has captured your attention? Second question. I'm going to have you write these on your, on your listening guide, on your registration card in just a minute. To what or to whom do you need to pay attention? So what's captured your attention? That's the dangerous one. What do you need to pay attention to? That's, that's the good one. Father, help us to recognize that this is a principle to live life by. Help us to recognize the path we're on and help us to see danger and respond to that. God, may we not be simple people who just keep going and suffer for it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.